right, folks, we are live. The 2022 midterms are only days away. Should we still be expecting a red wave? What should we expect if there is a red wave? Red wave? Also, <laughs> it appears as though the left is waking up to the threat of big tech censorship. A new article from The Intercept is highlighting something that we've known for a while now, that the government has been colluding with social media companies like Twitter and Facebook to censor, quote-unquote, misinformation. We are going to be talking about this and more on episode 370 of the In the Tank podcast. And welcome to the In the Tank podcast. As always, I'm your host, Donald Kendall. Joining me today, I've got a full crew. I got Jim Likely, VP of the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? Uh, I'm just doing okay. Uh, I woke up uh, sick this morning. I'm told that my voice is kind of shot. Uh, and my wife told me that I look terrible, but I just let that pass for the day because uh, <laughs> I probably do look pretty terrible because I'm not feeling great. But here I am. I would never miss a podcast if I could help it. That's right. That's right. Also joining us, we've got... Chris Talgo, senior editor here at the Heartland Institute. How are you today, good sir? Doing good. And just want to say, Jim, you are a trooper. (laughs) Well, I said, he's like, oh, yeah, I might not be able to make it tomorrow. I'm like, you're going to miss four out of five weeks of the podcast? We can't let that happen. People are going to forget who you are, man. (laughs) That's just not allowed. It's going to turn to Chris Rant, TM. Uh, Also (laughs) joining us, special guest, Cameron Schulte, director of government relations here at the Heartland Institute. How are you doing today, good sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on again. Of course, of course. So before we get going, we have a lot to get to today. I say that all the time, but this time I mean it. So we've got a lot to talk about. So I want to uh, get through this message that I put out there at the beginning of all of these podcasts really quickly, which is mostly for those audio-only listeners that are probably catching this on a Friday. You can you can catch us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon Central Time for the live stream, which is broadcast on facebook and twitter and youtube and rumble and you can uh, join the conversation get in that chat and leave some comments and questions maybe we'll show your comment on the screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly and also you can help us by just doing a couple of simple things break through that big tech algorithm that prevents content like this from being shown to more people just hit that like button hit that subscribe button if you haven't already share this content and leave a comment underneath the video any of those things will help us greatly So I just want to jump right into our topics here. And for those people that are looking at the thumbnail and saying, well, what are they going to talk about big tech? Happen at like the 15, 20 minute mark. All right. Be patient. (laughs) So I want to start off, though, talking about the elections. So the elections are only days away. And for the 54th consecutive time, these are the most important elections of our lifetime. And I apologize in advance to our listeners I don't like politics. I've made this very clear uh, throughout the duration of this entire show. I have a visceral reaction when I see millions of campaign signs littering every street corner. Uh, I can't stand campaign commercials. I I roll my eyes every time I hear a laundry list of campaign promises. Uh, My only caveat to these statements is Trump. Uh, Trump made politics fun for about two and a half years. So, 
Chris will ask me every once in a while, well, what do you think about candidate X? And I say, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know who candidate X is. So (laughs) I've always said I'd rather talk about policy than politics, which is why I invited Cameron onto the show. Cameron could possibly talk about, uh, you know, politics all day long uh, with Jim and Chris. So I'm still going to play host for this first segment here, but uh, mostly going to tune out, check my emails and stuff while you guys talk about the the upcoming election. Um, But I'm going to go to Chris first. So, Chris... My first question is, uh, I, I joked about this election being referred to as the most important election of our lifetimes. You seemingly hear that every election. But how important is this one in your estimation? Yeah, I, I think ever since I've uh, you know been following politics and uh, public policy, every single election has been branded as the most important election ever. The future of the country hinges on this, the future of the world, the universe. Uh, right. I mean, this is an important election, no doubt. Uh, You know, we've had two years of uh, Democratic uh, control of, you know, both houses of Congress and the presidency, and they've pushed a lot of bills through. So I think it'll be really uh, important to get some uh, oversight from uh, the Republicans. Um, But I don't think this is the most important election in my in my lifetime. No, I don't. No. Uh, Cameron, six months ago, um, I would have guaranteed you a red wave. Gas prices skyrocketing, inflation going crazy. The Biden administration seemingly couldn't do anything except for make controversy. Then things started to swing in the other direction. Gas prices stabilized, fell a little bit. The Biden administration passed their Inflation Misdirection Act. Uh, people got outraged over certain Supreme Court decisions. Um, what's it looking like now in your estimation? No different. No, um, you had August, late, late summer. You usually see a polling bump for Democrats every, every two years. You see a late summer, uh, polling bump, but the fundamentals for the red wave are still there. You have, uh, a president who's been unable to lead. You have a Congress that's more interested in chasing, uh, Twitter clout than actually governing. And all Republicans have to do is let Democrats do what they've been doing, and they're going to coast on in on Tuesday. Okay, so you're putting your money on red. Got it. Um, so Cameron seems pretty confident. Uh, Nate Silver at 538. Is that a respected site anymore? Uh, he puts the odds of uh, of the Senate just like a 50-50 split. can go either way. So, Jim, what do you think? Oh, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a red tsunami. I mean, all of the indications... Uh, you know, a lot of these polls, it's funny, you know, a lot of these national polls, like, for instance, the poll that's, that says that the uh, congressional preference, I think it's for the last one or the consensus of them the last uh, week has been plus four Republicans. Usually that is um, even if it's plus three Democrat in congressional preference, it still ends up being Republican pickups. Uh, so for having to be Republican plus four or plus five, you know, who knows what it'll be like another couple of days. Um, that is significant. I mean, I think the, the Republicans took 63 House seats in the um, 1994 Newt Gingrich, uh, Newt Gingrich uh, contract with America election uh, that shocked uh, everybody um, at that time. You know, that's <laughs> to me, it doesn't seem all, all that long ago, but it, it really was uh, uh, 20 years, almost 20 years ago, which is kind of funny. Uh, so and also the, these polling results that, again, that show the congressional preference, they they lean, they oversample Democrats because it is a, you know, kind of a national survey. Um, you know, when you have deep, deep blue cities in even red states, um, you know, it gets it picks up too many of those people in these polls. 
So when you look at the, the competitive districts, um, those competitive districts, uh, you know, where Republicans, I should say, are competitive, even in ones that are held by Democrat incumbents right now, uh, those voters are kind of being undercounted. So uh, mm -hmm. I think it's going to be, uh, I don't know, if, I think 63 seats in the House is a very ambitious number. Uh, I don't think we're going to see that. But um, Nancy Pelosi's days of running uh, Washington uh, are, are over very soon. Chris, do you concur? You think a red tsunami, red wave, red trickle? What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I totally agree with Jim. And, you know, the past couple election cycles, the polls have been so wildly off. I, I don't I don't trust the polls anymore other than uh, Trafalgar. I think they actually have a pretty good polling uh, operation going. But um, in, in a lot of races that you would think would just be, you know, slam dunks for the Democrats, like the uh, gubernatorial race in uh, New York, Lee Zeldin is in a is, is, you know, is within striking distance of Kathy Hochul. Uh, there are a bunch of uh, Senate seats that most people thought were going to be, uh, you know, guaranteed to go to the Democrats that are uh, competitive, especially in Washington State, in uh, Nevada, uh, Arizona, Blake Masters. Um, so there are a lot of uh, uh, races that I think Democrats thought that they were going to uh, have in the bag that the GOP is actually uh, uh, going to be pretty competitive in. Um, I don't I don't think this is going to be a a you know like a uh uh red tsunami but i do think that the that the uh, gop is going to pick up house pretty you know pretty well and i think that uh the sun is going to be really really tight <laughs> my my son's trying to chime in and say that he thinks it's going to be a red wave too uh cameron uh what what happens though so uh you know the, let's say team red wins both uh, uh chambers of congress team blue obviously has the white house for a couple more years um what we just got two years of of nothing happening or uh, what do you suspect is going to happen nothing and that's good, <laughs> good. No, nothing's going to happen they're going they're going to pass the cr over and over and over a continuing resolution in congress to keep government's lights on um won't do much to keep my lights on or your lights on but they're going to keep government's lights on and um, that's about it. And that's okay. The, mm -hmm. you know, every pixel they, they, they make and every, um, bit of ink that they spend writing new laws is, is a little less freedom for you and me. So I'm actually okay with the gridlock that's going to come along. Uh, Democrats and liberals are going to blame Republicans in Congress for intentionally tanking the economy, but the tanked economy is a foregone conclusion at this point, right? Every, every indicator is, is that we're going to, we're, he, we're running headlong into an economic downturn and um, that's going to happen. And Biden is going to blame Republicans and Democrats in Congress are going to blame Republicans and the media is going to blame Republicans. Right. And, uh, but I, I, I think the Republicans have a compelling case that the, if they can stay disciplined and not be sidetracked by um, cartoonish presidential candidates tracing through Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina, I think there's a credible case to be made that, um, you know, the doing nothing is what's going to ring out the economic problems. You know, D Donnie, Jim brought up the 1994 election, and it was really interesting because for the first two years, Bill Clinton uh, governed as a as a pretty hard left liberal. But then right after the GOP took the House, he pivoted and he signed welfare reform and a bunch of other, uh, you know, not, you know, super left uh, policies. I don't think that Biden's going to take that tack. I think that Biden's going to go the Obama route after uh, Obama lost 
uh, both houses of Congress in his uh, first term. What did he do? He started, you know, issuing executive orders and he used his famous uh, phone and his pen. So I think Biden's going to try to go that route. But the difference is this time we have a Supreme Court who I think is going to be much more willing to knock down some of those excessive, uh, excessive executive orders. So I think that this is going to put uh, Biden and uh, the White House in a really precarious position to see how they respond to this. So what what happens, though, with like, uh, you know, I've heard some people talk about like the Republicans taking over the leadership of certain committees. You know, uh, I, I feel like I've heard people say, you know, if Republicans take over the House, then they're going to make Fauci testify in front of Congress about A, B and C. Is that something I should be holding my breath for, Cameron? Um, you, we talked about this in the office the other day, and and I take a little bit more conservative or tepid approach to government investigations. I think um, they can often sidetrack politicians. And so if, if I could be the Speaker of the House or Majority Leader in the Senate, I'd say we're going to focus on COVID response. We're going to, to kind of try to rebuild trust in our public health institutions. And then we are absolutely going to deep dive into collusion with government collusion with social media companies. I think those are the two biggest pressing issues that, that, that kind of uh, people are wanting answers to. And especially, especially with COVID response, because mm -hmm. that gets it to why Democrats are about to get routed. Um, you had schools shut down and parents are not going to forget that. And there is an amount of transgender inclusion that can make what parents are feeling sure. about the COVID response go away. Education, uh, the state of education in America in the wake of COVID is abysmal. And Congress and um, our elected leaders can play a substantial role in kind of rebuilding that back. Yeah, Cameron brought up the collusion between uh, uh, social media and, and the government, which would have been a great segue to the, our main topic of discussion. But I do want to give Jim uh, any any final thoughts on any of this uh, election <laughs> stuff here. Uh, I'll just say that uh, this should be the most enjoyable election night viewing uh, since 2016. <laughs> for those of you who like the schadenfreude of uh, liberals uh, losing their minds. Uh, but, you know, Joe Biden gave another um, bizarro uh, speech last night. Uh, it, he didn't have a red backdrop. It didn't look like, you know, uh, something out of a fascist, <laughs> something out of V for Vendetta or anything like that. But, uh, he did. Uh, but he, he, his chief of staff went on the news programs this morning and said that Biden had issued one final warning, uh, I think, to those who would deny the election results. Uh, and he talked about he talked about that again. And he also said that we um, shouldn't we shouldn't really know who won the election until a few days after Election Day. And I think the quote was, that's the way it works. Uh, that's not the way it works. Um, several states, actually, if you're going to allow mail in ballots, um, these states should actually get started counting those ballots when they come in. Um, some states do that, like Florida. Florida, I think, is the fourth largest state in the in the union. They are in over two time zones, a little bit in the central time zone and the rest in the eastern time zone. Uh, they finish. They know who wins their elections on election night. Uh, I don't understand why. And, and people wonder why people uh, like me and listeners to this podcast might have a question or two about election results. And it's because we you don't we don't know who won. 
that you guys keep counting, some of these states keep counting votes for days on end. And it just always turns out that the Democrats end up winning when this happens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, actually, if I, I don't want to, I'm not in favor of nationalizing elections, which is what the Democrats tried and almost were able to do in this country. But I think, I think if your state is one of those states that allows mail-in ballots, you should work and ask your state legislature to uh, stop doing that stuff. People should go to, should, people should vote on election day or with an absentee ballot with a valid excuse. This mail-in ballot stuff is just open for fraud. It takes too long to count them. Nobody really knows who won. Um, All of these things that are supposed to make voting easier are actually undermining the public's faith in the results of these elections. That's that's something I actually would like to see talked about more and actually done on a state-by-state level after this election is over and before the next presidential election. Oh, how dare you? How dare you insinuate that we didn't have the freest and most fair elections ever couple of years ago kick them off the podcast Uh, and uh, and, uh, uh, pennsylvania is one of those states that jim identified that doesn't count uh mail-in voting until after election day so pennsylvania's got a couple of very pivotal races uh, the gubernatorial race and obviously the senate race between oz and uh, fetterman and we're not going to know those results probably days if not a couple weeks after november 8th so this is going to be a excuse for that yeah yeah that's crazy yeah. So I, I want to get to our main topic of discussion here. Um, so there's been an interesting development in the big tech censorship story in the past week. Uh, we've been talking about this story for, I don't know, years now, how Facebook and Twitter have been suppressing certain content on their platform with seemingly political intent. Uh, this includes general conservative talking points, certain laptops owned by the son of certain presidents, uh, COVID stuff, and even some global warming things are being suppressed. These stories sparked a discussion about Section 230 and whether these platforms were acting as publishers, which would negate their Section 230 protect, pro, uh, protections. We've talked about this week in and week out for the past, I don't know, seemingly years. But uh, we have been covering how the government uh, has been working with social media companies to moderate content. While sounding uh, similar, this is a much larger story, a much, much larger story than just Facebook and Twitter acting alone. So, again, we've kind of talked about this, uh, you know, here and there over the past several months, maybe years. Back in 2021, then-Press Secretary Jen Psaki outlined all the things the federal government was doing to fight against COVID mis- misinformation. Uh, I think we actually have a video of her talking about this. Let's, uh, let's, play, let's play the clip of, of good old Jen Psaki talking. The actions, Alex, that uh, we have taken or we're working to take, I should say, from the federal government. Uh, we've increased uh, disinformation research and tracking uh, within the Surgeon General's office. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread disinformation. We're working with doctors and medical professionals to connect uh, to connected medical experts with popular with popular who are popular with their audiences with uh, with accurate information and boost trusted content. So we're helping get trusted content out there. We also created the COVID nineteen the COVID Community Corps to get factual information into the hands of local messengers. We are flagging problematic posts for Facebook, she says. In that same speech, if I'm not mistaken, Saki also said that Facebook needs to move more quickly to remove harmful, violative posts, posts that uh, will be there, uh, that are within their policies of removal, often remain up for days. That's too long. She says it shouldn't come as any surprise that we're in regular touch with social media platforms, she said, adding 
that we work to engage with them to better understand the enforcement of social media platform policies. Uh, then came a chilling statement. You shouldn't be banned from one platform and not others if you for providing misinformation out there, Saki said. Uh, or remember just prior to the election when the Hunter Biden laptop story, social media and what had to be a coordinated effort blocked the story about the laptop, literally prevented people from talking about it. And when Mark Zuckerberg talked about this on the Joe Rogan podcast, like just a few weeks, maybe a month or so after that, he said that the FBI came to them and warned that it was probably Russian disinformation. And now we have leaked documents from the Department of Homeland Security that remove any doubt that could possibly remain that the government has been colluding with big tech to censor speech. So this uh, this is all came to a head with a uh, an article from The Intercept that is titled Leaked Documents Outline DHS's Plan to Police Disinformation. So I'm just going to start off by reading some of this and then we can dive into it. Uh, the article starts off. The Department of Homeland Security is quietly broadening its efforts to curb speech it considers dangerous, an investigation by The Intercept has found. Years of internal DHS memos, emails, and documents obtained via leaks and an ongoing lawsuit, as well as public documents, illustrates an expansive effort by the agency to influence tech platforms. Behind closed doors and through pressure on private platforms, the U.S. government has used its power to try to shape online discourse. According to meeting minutes and other records uh, appended to the lawsuit filed by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt, a Republican who is also running for Senate, discussions have ranged from the scale and scope of government intervention in online discourse to the mechanics of streamlining takedown requests for false or intentionally misleading information. So I just want to uh, look at the, the key takeaways of this first section, and then I'll, I'll go to your guys for comments. So it says through DHS shuttered, though DHS shuttered its controversial disinformation governance board, a strategic document reveals the underlying work is ongoing. The Department of Homeland Security plans to target inaccurate information on, quote, the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic and the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines, racial justice, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and the nature of U.S. support to Ukraine. It says Facebook created a special portal for the Department of Homeland Security and government partners to report disinformation directly. Uh, so this doesn't seem to just be like some afterthought uh, from the government. This seems to be a really planned out strategy. So, Cameron, I'm going to go to you first. Um, I mean, this goes far beyond Section 230 violations. This seems to be a violation of um, uh, what do they call it again? Oh, yeah. The First Amendment. What do you think? <laughs> well, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack here. Right. Um, where do I even begin? Uh, so I, I think most people's frustration, at least mine, as someone who's been on the front lines fighting this issue in the States and trying to bring attention to the collusion between government and social media, I think what offends my sensibilities the most is that at no point did Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or anybody say, hey, government, leave us alone. You can't tell us what to what to say. You cannot compel our speech. But they actively sought out direction and this coordination with the government. 
which is what offends my sensibilities when I think offends most people's sensibilities in this case. Yeah, Jim, I mean, when you're looking at the list of the things that they want to stifle misinformation on, it, came, it, it seems kind of revealing of their true intentions. Like, if I give them the complete benefit of the doubt, I can almost understand a couple of things. Efficacy of vaccines disinformation could theoretically endanger people who are on the fence of whether or not to take a vaccine or something. <laughs> Later in the article, they mentioned disinformation about, like, voting dates and and locations and and you know, uh, uh, bad actors could try to disrupt people from voting. Like, I, I, again, giving them the full benefit of the doubt. However, COVID-19 origins, withdrawal from Afghanistan, even the nature of U.S. support for Ukraine just seems nothing but political. How is the public health undermined by Biden's terrible withdrawal strategy? <laughs> I mean, what do you think about all this? When the government is determining what speech is permissible, you no longer live in a society in which free speech exists. It, it really just comes down to that. And I'm, I'm with, I think you, Donnie, who said you're a little surprised that these companies would just, instead of telling the government to go, um, you know, sought off, uh, they said, oh, gosh, uh, here's an idea. How about we meet every week? How about I set up a special portal so that you could report directly to us quickly instead of me having to, seek, um, you know, go through emails to find what you find objectionable? You could just had this direct channel to us here at Facebook and we'll make sure to throttle and take those things down. Uh, these, these companies had the power uh, and the government and they just gave it to the government. Why? Because they are ideologues. Because the aims of the government and the aims of the left-wing ideologues who run, uh, who used to run Twitter and run places like Facebook align. You know, when, when I heard this story, I tried to imagine, you, Donnie, you and I talked about this yesterday. I just tried to imagine what the reaction by the mainstream media would be, the, I should say the corrupt legacy media um, would be, if this happened during the Trump administration, <laughs> if Trump's uh, Department of Homeland Security had coordinated with, uh, uh, with Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and, and all the other uh, social media and communication giants in this country to make sure that only their messaging and their take on every issue was allowed to be heard. Mm -hmm. They would be, it would be impeachment time again, I guess, maybe for the, they would they maybe try to impeach him seven times for the same offense on this idea. And of course, you can't imagine it because it is unimaginable because <laughs> these organizations would never work with Trump. They all worked from the moment he was the candidate for the Republican Party, worked to make sure they destroyed him and never let up on it. But this, it, we are, this is very, very dangerous, that we live in a society, well, we used to live in a free speech society, but th this idea of allowing someone like Jen Psaki to define for us what quote-unquote misinformation is or disinformation, uh, it wasn't mentioned in this Intercept story, and, uh, I, I, and my goal is to always get our podcast flagged, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it again with this example, the Paul Pelosi story. Now, that's being, you know... Merely repeating what Politico had reported, Politico had reported that there were three people in the House, not two, and that was since corrected. Uh, Politico or another uh, outlet reported that um, the intruder in Paul Pelosi's house was in his underwear. Um, that was reported by a legacy media outlet. Now, today, if you say those things, if you even said that Politico reported X or this other outfit reported Y, you are accused of spreading misinformation and conspiracy theories by our own government. Look, 
a, a, a news outlet getting something wrong and then correcting it later and mentioning that is not misinformation. It is just incorrect. <laughs> now, our government right now is treating anybody who they think is incorrect as spreading dangerous misinformation and, frankly, a threat to our democracy. This is all tied in together. This is oppression. This is totalitarian tactics. And I think one of the reasons that the red wave is coming uh, in next week is because the American people are sick of this. This is all part of what they see as a government that is not responsive to them, but oppressing and abusing them. Yeah, Chris, I'm going to go to you next, but I want to read another uh, passage from this. And there's a couple more key takeaways. It says, prior to the 2020 election, tech companies, including Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Discord, Wikipedia, Microsoft, LinkedIn, and Verizon Media, met on monthly basis with FBI, CISA, and other government representatives. According to NBC News, the meetings were in part uh, were part of an initiative still ongoing between the private sector and the government to discuss how firms would handle misinformation during the election. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is just unbelievable, like uh, just black and white right on there on the paper. A few more key takeaways says the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI and several media entities are having biweekly meetings as recently as August. I wonder if we're invited to those meetings. Probably not. DHS considered countering disinformation relating to content that undermines trust in financial systems and courts. And the FBI agent who primed social media platforms to take down the Hunter Biden laptop story continued to have a role in Department of Homeland Security policy discussions. So, Chris, as I mentioned before, with the stories that we've covered, like uh, the, the, the press secretary, uh, Jen Psaki's comments, Mark Zuckerberg's quotes on Joe Rogan. We Mm -hmm. knew, we pretty much knew that some of this stuff was going on. And perhaps this article does a good job of showing just to what extent all of this is happening. Uh, But what are your thoughts with this, uh, with this new article hitting the, hitting the waves here? I thought it was a really interesting article. And I liked how they uh, talked about how a lot of this uh, originated uh, when the, uh, uh, Homeland Department of Homeland Security was uh, founded after the 9-11 attack. And for 10 years or so, when we were mostly engaged in the Middle East, we were using these tactics uh, to try to further our interests there. But since the war on terror has wound down, they argue that those tactics are now being turned against our own citizens. We saw this uh, with the January 6th. We saw this with the FBI uh, you know, going in with uh, you know SWAT teams to get you know people who were basically loitering in the uh, in the cap, you know, in the Capitol grounds on January 6th. Uh, so I think this is not only about the, the disinformation, but it's also about uh, the chilling effect that it's placing on American people to just not question the status quo. And whether that's vaccine mandates or whether that's, you know, the election in 2020 or whether it's, you know, anything related to, uh, you know, the education stuff. They just want people to shut up. And if and if you do question it and if you do speak out against it, they'll brand you a domestic terrorist and stick the FBI on you. And that's super scary. And with the, uh, you know, with the social media companies working in tandem with them, makes it a heck of a lot easier for them to track these people and to uh, to uh, bring bring cases against them uh, based on their social media uh, profiles. So, Cameron, I mean, it's it's our job over here, uh, excluding you. Uh, it's our job, me, Jim, and Chris, to basically complain about these things and try to bring it to media attention or just a, a general public attention, right? 
but it's your job to work with legislators and, and you know try to try to help them get all the information that they need to do some legislative work when it comes to this. And I know that, uh, you know, this is tangentially related to the Section 230. And I know that you guys have been doing a ton of work when it comes to all of that. But do you think that this is going to cause this this new revelation, this new uh, investigation from the Intercept is going to cause a wave of even further, uh, um, you know, work to be done when it comes to all this big tech censorship and potential first amendment violations yeah i just i just want to for the people watching and listening let them know that for eight dollars a month um the in the tank podcast will give them a blue check and (laughs) give them access to the private chat that we all have access to that they can't (laughs) see because jim and i are having a discussion over in the chat about this and and i'll get to your question in a minute but it's kind of to make the point though that yes, the economy is on voters' mind and education is on voters' mind. But Jim and I are both of them of, of this feeling that that voters are feeling unsettled and that uh, and this is an emotional election they're having uh, or, or that we're about to or the results rather are going to be emotional. Um, going to be the results of being driven by emotion as opposed to logically looking at the world around them and they're going to vote based on the economy or something else. Mm-hmm. So anyway, to your point, though, moving on, um, I think what has happened, with, ironically enough, was in 2021 and in 2022, um, we saw lots of legislation in the states to try to kind of Rain in big tech is 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 the term we were using. Rain them in because we felt they had become kind of this monolithic entity that was ubiquitous in American uh, culture, and they were clearly. I mean, without I, I, there's just not much debate about this. They were throttling conservative viewpoints, and the Hunter Biden laptop story is a perfect example of how. Um, conservative viewpoints, conservative ideas, and even electioneering was being rigged in in Democrats' favor. And so we saw a lot of activity in the states on that issue. Um, But big tech then sued to stop Texas's law and Florida's law from, uh, from, you know, being in force to kind of push back on what state legislatures were doing. And that has kind of stalled out the movement in the short term. But I think what we're going to see is a rejuvenation of that effort out in the states because mm. this this intercept article, I, I, I'm not entirely sure that state lawmakers, um, to the extent they've seen it, are watching it, but it's definitely something they do need to see. And, and I think it's incumbent on, on Heartland Institute and others to to bring this issue to their attention. And, and I, I think this will be the shot in the arm that says that in movement to to move the issue forward again, to kind of uh, pick up where the effort left off. Hmm. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I think. I, I'm, I'm also just uh, I, I'm hopeful that Elon Musk taking over Twitter and, and hopefully making it a bastion of free speech will possibly and I'm you know, I don't want to be too naive here, possibly influence uh, Meta and some of the other companies, Instagram and such to h- take more of a uh, free speech tack. I think it would be good for their business as well. Yes, it's going to, you know, uh, infuriate their, you know, their government overlords. But who are they accountable to the government or to the people? 
So I, I, I'm, 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 I'm guardedly hopeful that the, uh, the Twitter takeover will possibly have a, uh, you know, a positive effect. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed on that one. So, yes. I, I mean, I think that uh, like all of this stuff is, is just terrible and, and, and worthy of an official special counsel investigation, but the item that's like the most egregious, in my opinion, is the Hunter Biden laptop story. The FBI essentially told Facebook and Twitter to stop the spread of this story because it's probably Russian disinformation. Of course, later, the authenticity of the laptop and all of the content in it was confirmed by the Washington Post and the New York Times. However, that story was suppressed in the weeks before the election. And because of that, there had this aura spread across anyone that even talked about it that, you know, th this is probably BS, right? Anyone that talked about that story, oh, no, it's probably BS, right? A and then these actions could have swung the entire election. So say what you, you know, what you will about voting machines or mail-in ballots or vote counting centers or ballot harvesting. I don't have to go any further than the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story to show that the 2020 election was not the freest and most fair election in the United States. Jim, uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Do you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, I'm just looking, I'm looking at the story here. Uh, and it says here, in, in a March meeting, Laura Demlo, an FBI official, warned that the threat of subversive information on social media could undermine support for the U.S. government. Mm -hmm. Demlo, according to notes of the discussion attended by senior executives from Twitter and J.P. Morgan Chase, stressed that, quote, we need a media infrastructure that is held accountable. This is America where <laughs> the government is holding media accountable. Media is supposed to be holding government officials accountable for us and to us. And we have the government here. This FBI official should be fired. You want hearings? They should be hearing. Her name is in this story. Call her up. Or actually, there should just be a letter that she needs to be fired and answer for this. We can't have our government officials coordinating in this way because, oh my gosh, you wouldn't want anybody, you wouldn't want subversive information that could undermine support for the U.S. government. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, how is this America? How are we living in this world? And we are living in this world because, as you said, the Hunter Biden story suppressed on, on you know, is, is proof that the, that the government is working with, um, with our social media companies to keep us misinformed, to keep us stupid to keep us dumb and supposedly happy. What they're doing, and this goes back to what uh, Cameron and I were talking about in the chat, I think, you know, normally in an election like this, a midterm election, if the economy is terrible or perceived as terrible or not all that great, or maybe just a little bit worse than before, the party in power pays a, pol a political price for it. And of course, the economy is in the toilet uh, right now. And so that's not working in very well for the Democrats. But I think a lot of people are voting emotionally. They just feel like the entire society is just spinning out of control. You know, we're going to get into the COVID lockdown policies and how there's been no accountability for that. And we're supposed to have a, just have a truce and let's just move on. That's not going to happen. People have seen COVID and the way, not really the COVID uh, um, uh, disease or the, I should say the virus itself, that didn't shut down society. Governments shut down society. We have, you know, people showing up at school board meetings when they finally see what their what, what their kids are actually being taught in school. They show up at school board meetings to express dis, uh, discomfort and they don't like it. 
uh, and they're called by our own federal government, domestic terrorists, FBI files put out on people that show up at freaking school board meetings. <laughs> people are voting, I think, a lot like me, I suppose, on emotion because they see everything. This is all coming together. They just feel like the entire society is coming apart and it's being driven by our government. And then, and again, a coordination between our government and some of the largest, most powerful corporations in the world. And now we have to push back at it. Yeah, yeah. Don, and I would also add to that, you know, people are are sick and tired of the crime. They're sick and tired of the border being wide open. They're sick and tired of all these things. Jim is completely right. Our, our you know, our society is, you know, spiraling out of control on so many fronts. And, the, you know, the people are, are, you know, very fed up with it. And I think in a couple of days, they're going to make their voices heard. Yeah, just just one final thing on this uh, intercept article. Um, it, uh, it all of this, the, all the information that was contained in this intercept article was so bad. Even the ACLU woke up from their long, long slumber <laughs> and to condemn the action of the government. So they uh, they shared the article from the intercept on Twitter and uh, and and made the comment: the First Amendment bars the government from de- deciding for us what is true or false online or anywhere. Our government can't use private pressure to get around our constitutional rights. So, Cameron, when the ACLU is attacking the tactics of the left, (laughs) I think that's a telltale sign that uh, they've gone too far. I'll give you a final word on this topic before I move on to the uh, COVID thing. Yeah, on the ACLU, which is uh, nothing short of ironic. And and my first reaction is, welcome to the game, guys. (laughs) Where have you been? Because... And lit- I, I, I sound like my children when they say dad, literally, I mean, the <laughs> use of the word literally is, it, it has gone off the rails. But in this case, literally, and I'm thinking of one particular state when we were working with lawmakers and testifying on legislation to rein in big tech to ensure conservative free speech online, the ACLU was there saying, don't pass this bill. Mm. They have a First Amendment right to censor, to act as they so choose. And now they're like, whoa, whoa, government, that's a bridge too far. But, you know, these monolithic companies, they, they can say whatever they want. We're, I'm happy to team with the ACLU and anyone else that wants to, 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 to ensure that your free speech rights, Donnie, Jim's free speech rights, my free speech rights, and anyone else's free speech rights are guaranteed online. <laughs> there, back back when, uh, like, I was a kid, and uh, you know, I used to watch like WWF. There was a there was a heel, the a group of bad guys called the Right to Censor. <laughs> they were just like the prudes of the room, and then they didn't want like you know cool stuff to happen and, and wrestling. And it's just like now, twenty years later, it's like the Right to Censor is making <laughs> is making a a, a, re, a reemergence into this world, and well, you wouldn't just, expect the, it to be on the left. Go ahead, Jim. The, the ACLU has awarded no points for this. Zero. <laughs> they have not lifted a finger. For years to defend any speech by anybody not on the left. In fact, they are they are in the supporting suppression business. Um, mm-hmm. and they're only coming forward because I don't know why they're coming forward now. But when when government is instructing a private actor to take away your First Amendment rights, that is an actual 
violation of the First Amendment, which you might call illegal. And so if there's going to be hearings on something, this should be something there's hearings on because it's an actual violation of the First Amendment. Andy uh, got, got a picture of the right to censor <laughs> from the old WWF, which is just perfect. All right. So uh, I want to I want to spend some time talking about this next story. It's a story that deserves even more time than we have allotted for it. Uh, at first, when I was reading this story, I was annoyed by it and even ridiculed it. But the more I thought about it and the more I read of it, uh, the more angry I got. The story I'm referring to is an article published by The Atlantic titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. So the author of the article starts off describing an anecdote about being semi-hostile, about wearing masks and social distancing when they were hiking with their kid early on during the pandemic. She goes on to write, These precautions were totally misguided. In April of 2020, no one got coronavirus from passing someone else while hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare. Our cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. So before I go on any further, I want to note that the author of this article really downplays the actions that were taking uh, that were taken when we didn't know um, what was going on. Uh, so while we discuss the rest of this article, Andy, I want you to just play in the background with no sound or anything, just clips of the most authoritarian things that you can find that occurred over the last three years. So some of the things that the author points out in this uh, in this mm -hmm. article is, um, you know, that probably closing down schools for that long, uh, it was probably too long or promoting one vaccine over the other may have turned out uh, to be misguided because certain vaccines were more effective than others. What she doesn't discuss is beaches being shut down, people being arrested for paddle boating uh, uh, by themselves. She doesn't. She doesn't discuss people dying by themselves because loved ones weren't allowed to visit or funerals that were canceled because they weren't allowed to take place. She doesn't mention the police that were ordered to break up parties and arrest people for gathering in groups larger than five. She doesn't mention the children as young as two that were forced to wear masks or families kicked off planes because they couldn't get their child to wear an ineffective face mask. She doesn't mention the crackdowns on protesters or the government confiscating bank accounts of protesters. She doesn't mention the, the businesses and livelihoods that were destroyed by the government lockdowns or the, the people suffering today from the economic disruption stemming from the government lockdowns. None of this is mentioned, but it's all just supposed to be forgiven because, you know, we didn't know. So instead, she says, uh, the people who got it right, for whatever reason, may want to gloat. Those who got it wrong, for whatever reason, may feel defensive and retrench into a position that didn't accord with the facts. All of this gloating and defensiveness continues to gobble up a lot of social energy and to drive the culture wars, especially on the Internet. These discussions are heated, unpleasant, and ultimately unproductive. In the face of so much uncertainty, getting something right had a hefty element of luck. And similarly... Getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. And she ends the article by saying, 
the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, but dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty and then try to work together to build back and move forward. So, Jim, do you have it in your heart to just let bygones be bygones and declare amnesty? What do you think? No. To hell with that. Um, this this is very triggering for me. In fact, the people watching the live stream right now, um, I put this video clip together of just a few examples of the madness we all lived through uh, during COVID. I mean, we were traumatized as a society. And there is one side or one political party, perhaps, um, our ruling class, the Democratic ruling class in this country were the ones imposing all of this madness upon us. Um, and no, I'm not, and I think, you know, we were traumatized as a society and, and you know, most people, and I think myself included, when you go through trauma, you try to just forget about it. You, you compartmentalize it. And so that you don't remember, you don't want to remember some of the crazy stuff that happened all to keep us safe from a virus in which hardly, you know, the, not even 1% of people that got it perished that the flu, especially for children, is more deadly than COVID-19 proved to be. Uh, and for all of this, and so it was all lies. And it was, a, it was an experiment on how much control a society can actually exert on its own people. And there has been no reckoning. There's been no reckoning on this, on this uh, video clip. Um, there was just one example. And I could have spent all day finding even more examples. It could have been all, if I had a week, it would be running on a loop for about 48 hours just of the madness of what happened during COVID. There was a, a clip, video clip of an old woman in a nursing home, obviously in, in her last days. That's why you go to a nursing home. And she is, uh, her family is visiting her through the window and she can't really see them through the window. And she's clutching a picture of her grandchildren because she loves them. And she's, she says, can you come inside? And they say, we can't. And she just holds her head and begins to weep. That was done. It was not necessary to be done. The science did not back up stuff like that for being done. That is unimaginably cruel on a grand scale. Just that one thing that happened that people weren't allowed to visit their dying relatives in nursing homes. Uh, that was done on purpose. And there's been no accounting for that. There's been no apology for that. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, the uh, governor of New York, now deposed governor of New York, wasn't uh, run out of office because he put thousands he put thousands of, old, of elderly people back into nursing homes where they would get COVID and die instead of keeping them in the hospital or using the emergency hospitals, um, the, the hospital ship off the shore of New York City that Donald Trump set there for those purposes. No, let's put all the old people back into the nursing homes without protection where they will get COVID and die. Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of, old, of elderly people died because of a policy choice made out of spite because he didn't want to have to admit that he took the help of Donald Trump. Let's just say what it is. That's exactly what happened in New York. And there's been no accounting for that. He wasn't run out for that. He was run out for, for, for getting handsy with, with too many women. This is the society we live in. And again, this is why people feel like things are out of control. There is no accountability for that. So yeah, we'll have, we're not going to have amnesty. Apologize for that. Acknowledge things like this happen. Acknowledge that you that you 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 put kids so far behind in school because you kept them out of school for two years when it was completely unnecessary. 
Why? To make sure that the bad orange man is out of the White House, to exert control over society, to do the bidding of the teachers unions and not, and not really try to protect kids and give them an education and do the bidding of parents. When there's an accounting for all of this and more, then maybe I'll think about saying, I accept your apology. But this whole idea that now we're just gonna declare amnesty, oopsie, uh, yeah, mistakes were made. No, 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 never, never. And there's gonna be a lot of anger in this country that will continue because so many that made all of these bad decisions, that did it on purpose, that seemed to take glee in the suffering of their fellow Americans. No, 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 no. There's no amnesty for any of that. I'm sorry. Zero. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll say like in the early days of COVID, you know, where we, we didn't know, it's like, you know, I take I took precautions that, uh, you know, in hindsight seem a little bit silly. Uh, now, granted, like my wife was pregnant at the time, but, you know, I was one of the people that would go to the grocery store like first thing in the morning, come back wipe stuff down make sure to throw my clothes into the into the washer right away because like god forbid i would like bring this terrible uh virus to my wife you know while she's pregnant and stuff but it's like there's a difference between uh, uh making personal choices and things that only affect you in the in the name of just like ignorance and not knowing what uh what the truth is and forcing other people to do stuff or using government force to crack down and, and tattling on neighbors and 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 uh, like all of the stuff that comes along with that whole laundry list of stuff that I that I read off that, you know, the author of this article didn't read, uh, didn't mention at all. So, I mean, Chris, it seems like there's a big difference for that. I can call, you know, let bygones be bygones when it comes to us, like acting, acting silly and wearing, uh, you know, these cloth masks. When we found out, you know, later on, they didn't work. But mandating other people and punishing other people for not doing that. To me, that's a step too far. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, first of all, I don't want amnesty. I want accountability. I want the people that made these terrible decisions, everyone from Dr. Fauci to Andrew, uh, to uh, Governor Cuomo and Gretchen Whitmer and Gavin Newsom and all these people in Illinois. Our actions, Alex, that we're working. To oh, <laughs> Saki jumping in. I, I just, I, 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 they need to be held accountable for what they did because they ruined people's lives. They ruined, they ruined children's lives. These children are years behind where they should be in terms of their education and not to mention all the social uh, and emotional and psychological toll that they put on these kids, telling them to go sit in a room for two years and stare at a screen, don't have any sort of contact with people, knowing that, as Jim said, and Jim, that was an awesome uh, summary of all this stuff, knowing that that was completely, completely unnecessary because they knew for a fact that this virus had almost no impact on kids. So just that alone, they should be held accountable for that. They have ruined people's lives. But not only that, Donnie, uh, how about the fact that they're doing this about a week before the election? Because I've been watching some of these uh, recent debates and a lot of these mm. uh, 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 blue governors are now saying, I didn't shut down schools. That never happened. I mean, the gaslighting is incredible, but they're trying to get away with it. So now, of course, you know, people at the Atlantic and, you know, their their cronies on, you know, the in the left uh, left wing media are going to try to say, yeah, you know, they had good intentions, but they, you know, they went a little overboard, but we didn't know how bad it was going to be. No, that's not true. They knew how bad it was and they intentionally did it, as Jim said, and I believe this with all my heart to make sure that Donald Trump did not get reelected because let's let's remember that when the George Floyd protests were happening in the midst of all this 
they said, oh, it's okay to go and protest for social justice causes. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, th the science was just completely botched from the very beginning. It they were using ends to justify the means. And I really, really hope that these people are held accountable, whether it's at the voting booth or hopefully, you know, in, in, in court where they should be held accountable because they ruined people's lives. They killed people. And we are, st we, we're going to deal with the, uh, with the ramifications from this for decades. This is not right. a thing where it's like, oh, whoops, we made we made a little policy error. Sorry about that, everybody. No, this is this this has fundamentally changed America for the worse. Yeah, no doubt. One of these videos that's playing uh, for our audio only listeners is a like a woman at some establishment brandishing a bat at her customers yeah. over what I think was just like a face mask dispute or something. And it's just like the psychological torment that you put the entire country through cannot be understated, but is illustrated very well by that clip. Cameron, we only have a few minutes left. But I want your your take on this this article. Uh, on this, I, I I am trying to be patient and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm like you, Donnie. The hindsight's twenty twenty. The science is what what the science said, right? I I'm trying to be be gracious in that. But like Jim and like Chris, my patience wore thin real quick because right. it wasn't so much that. I felt they were reading the data wrong. It was the smugness. It was the self-righteousness yeah. with which they, they, they sought to overlord us. You know, prior to COVID, I don't think there's anybody on this call that didn't have some measure of respect and some measure of deference to public health officials. But what we saw during the COVID pandemic was... We saw these people who saw that or who felt that they were our betters. And, and I, I think it's the gaslighting and that smugness that bothers us. You had my favorite video was the one with the two old white women yelling at the black man in the elevator for not wearing a mask and saying, we love black people. Well, <laughs> That is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. That his, his race has nothing to do with whether he's wearing a mask or not. It has absolutely nothing to do with it. And so we had we had access to the same information that all these scientists did. And yet we saw that they weren't just fallible, but they are haunted by the same affliction in, in a thirst for for or a human temptation for authority and power and that's what it boils down to and now they want to they, they don't want to atone for it they want amnesty yeah you know i i want to bring up this uh this this uh message here from this comment from diane uh selby here it says how will we uh, believe the CDC ever again. And this is, this, this is a, a part of a conversation that uh, Jim and I actually had yesterday, which was that, you know, at the beginning of all of this, again, when we didn't know, like nobody had just this uh, complete mistrust of the CDC. When Trump went up on stage with Fauci and they, they talked about that two weeks to slow the curve, 90% of people, 95% of people were like, all right, yeah, like we get it better to be cautious. But like that, that uh, that trust in these institutions just deteriorated 
just on a constant basis from that point on. And but, all of this stuff that we're talking about led to that uh, that destruction of the trust in these institutions. But but we also know that from the very beginning, Dr. Fauci was hiding things and he was covering things up. And you know, we know that now. Things. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so that 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 shows me that he that they knew at the very beginning that they were going to overhype this and they were going to pretend like it's much worse than it is. Dr. Fauci and all of them are, are you know complicit in this. And th- the the really frustrating thing for me is even months into it, we had you know Nancy Pelosi trapezing around with you know no mask in a hair salon. We had Lori Lightfoot doing the same thing here. We had Gavin Newsom going to the French Laundry. Sans mask and, and you know with with all his friends. So even even after they knew, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for the first couple of weeks. Maybe they just you know were being way too over uh, over cautious here. But months in, even years in, they were still doing this stuff, which shows that they have you know uh, malevolent intentions about this. And like Jim said, they wanted to inflict as much pain as possible, and that is just unacceptable. Jim, we got like twenty held accountable. We got twenty seconds. Bring us home. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in a, in a in a in a pandemic, in a, in an actual health emergency, you need to have, uh, you need to be able to trust your public health authorities. Now that's all gone. I mean, it, it's like <laughs> you can't you can't you can't trust them because they have proven that they cannot be trusted. And it, it is there is no reason why anybody, after watching what they did to us during COVID, all the lies and what's really to tie it back to the public communications. Um, you know, or the, the coordination between social media and government. People said things about COVID and the, the efficacy of the vaccines and how masks work or don't work and the, and, and the fact that children aren't really uh, affected by COVID all that much. If you said that two years ago, you were banned, you were taken off, you were, you were silenced, you were called uh, you know, an enemy of the state. Today, all those things are true and now our government is saying it and it's, it's even said in this, in this article, which is why you're not getting amnesty. If if because if, there's no apologizing for it, and so you're not even allowed to tell the truth in this country anymore, and that's why there should be no amnesty, and these people need to be held accountable, and we'll never trust our public, uh, you know, we'll never trust the CDC again. There's no reason yeah. to. Yep, it's absolutely crazy. <laughs> I see this this article. Uh, you know, can we all just can we all just put our differences aside and just you know. Let's call it a day. Can we all just get along and forget about the past two years? Yeah, that never Absolutely happened. Absolutely not. You <laughs> so imagine it. If you, you just forget, it. if you just forget all of this stuff, then you can't learn from history. Like it's the complete opposite of what that lady was trying to say at the end of the article. It's like you right. need to acknowledge the shortcomings and, and you need to apologize. There needs to be accountability so that we don't do this for some similar thing in the future. Exactly. All right. All right, folks. I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of the In the Tank podcast. Join us every week uh, for a new episode. Again, for those audio only listeners that are catching the show on a Friday, join us a day earlier on Thursdays at noon central time where we're streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and rumble and join the conversation put your comments and questions maybe we'll show your comment on screen maybe we'll address your questions on the fly also you can follow us on twitter at in the tank pod you could also send us your comments questions and suggestions for the show by emailing us at the in the tank podcast at gmail.com jim lakely where can the fine people find you at jay lakely on twitter at heartland inst on twitter and always visit heartland.org and cameron how about you where can people go to see your work well, if they need, if they want, they can follow us on Twitter, HeartlandGR. Fantastic. And Chris, what do you have to pitch today? 
stoppingsocialism.com. We got some great new content up. Uh, go visit. Fantastic. Thank you all for tuning in. We'll talk to you next week.